we think I shouldn't be feeling like this. And because nobody speaks about it, we think we're the only one. And mm-hmm. we look at other people who look confident and amazing and we think, oh, they know how to do it, but I don't know how to do it. Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the world's first podcast aimed at supporting and empowering medical women in their careers. I'm Dr. Nuthana Bayankaram and it's my honour and joy to be your host as each week we speak to a fantastic guest who's here to help us in our careers. I'm Vice President of the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK and the voice of medical women on medical issues. Join us as each week we hear about a topic that's helpful for all of us in our careers. Hello everyone, I hope that you are all doing very, very well and having a lovely day, whatever you're doing and wherever in the world you are as you listen to this. Um, I do always think it's so funny with podcasts that you kind of make them and you put them out and you have absolutely no idea who's listening, where in the world they are, what they're doing. But from looking at the statistics of the podcast that that we get, um, it's really amazing. We've had over 10,600 listens now. And uh, it'll probably be more than that by the time this actually comes out, because I'm recording a couple of weeks before the podcast comes out. But yeah, and there's just listeners in like over 60 countries. And it's it's just incredible that there's this resource that we put out and people can listen to it anywhere and everywhere, um, which is amazing. And we did start off doing this podcast so that there was a free resource to support and empower medical women in their careers, but it does take up a lot of time to make each episode, about six to seven hours in total of my time and three hours of Jenna's time um, for each episode. So just thinking about the sustainability of the podcast, it's not really going to be feasible to continue doing the podcast unless we can get some sponsorship. So if you have any ideas for some sponsorship or funding, please, please do get in touch. We would so appreciate it. So many people have got in touch and said that they find the podcast really helpful, which is wonderful and makes my heart sing. But we have to think about sustainability and longevity of things. So please do get in touch. Now, this week, we are staying with the theme of using our voices. And our guest this week is the fabulous Serena Evans, who is an actor and she's acted in the West End as well as with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And she now does lots of um, lots of coaching and workshops to help people with feeling confident with using their voice and confident with storytelling. So in this episode, Serena's giving us a real masterclass in how to be storytellers, which I think is important in all aspects of of being a medical woman. Um, It might be that you're telling a story to illustrate to a patient why something's important, or maybe you need to tell a story to encourage your colleagues to to be more mindful of sustainability and the environment or maybe you need to tell a story to get some funding for something um and you might have seen that that's kind of what I tried to do at the beginning of this episode so um yeah we're all we're all trying to tell stories 
So I hope that you find this episode really, really helpful. Don't forget that our um, upcoming spring conference is happening on Friday, the 10th of May, 2024 in Cambridge. And we would really, really love to see you there in person. Please do spread the word. We've booked out a big lecture theatre at Anglia Ruskin University. So we've got lots of spaces. You're all very, very welcome. So please, please do come. It will be so lovely to see you all there in person. And we will, of course, be recording some, some live podcasts. So look forward to seeing you all there. And I hope you really enjoy this episode. So it's lovely to have with me today, Serena Evans. Welcome to the podcast, Serena. It would be great if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, Well, I am, historically, I'm an actress. I mean, I've always been an actress all my life. Um, I come from a family of actors. So I'm a third generation actor. Both my parents were actors and my grandfather was an actor. And so I stood very little chance of doing anything else, really. It seemed like the most glamorous job compared to what all my friends' parents were doing. So I um, went to drama school and then started work in the mid-1980s and have worked ever since. And I've done... um, I'm really a theatre animal, I guess. I've done a lot, a lot of theatre. But the other thing that I absolutely love to do um, was sitcom, to do comedy on the telly. So I did a lot of sitcom in the 80s and 90s. A lot of it is um, really bad, because a lot of sitcom was really bad. But I I absolutely love doing it. And some of it quite good. I was in a quite a well-known sitcom for those who are old enough to remember it, called The Thin Blue Line with Rowan Atkinson. And we did two series of that. So I've done a mix of theatre. I've worked in all the big theatres and toured around the country and even toured kind of around the world. And also a lot of um, a lot of television comedy. I've never done stand-up. But the reason I now teach, which I've been doing for about 25 years the reason I now teach people to feel better about standing up and speaking is that I realized after about 25 years of working that I had been working with quite severe stage fright so it terrifies me to go on stage and I've had to work with that get myself on stage look relaxed look normal and I I thought to myself um, at that kind of point in your life where you think I think I could go off at another tangent with my work here. I thought um, nobody helps people, really. Nobody really helps people to feel okay about standing up. And yet everybody, most people find it scary and it really triggers fear in people. So I developed with a friend of mine who's sadly no longer alive, but we developed this what's now called fearless speaking or I might just call it connecting, you know, this is how do we connect with our audience in front of us? And that's my passion now. And I uh, I do a lot of that work and I absolutely love it. And I see people transforming in front of me, actually, in a day, because they get that they don't have to be so scared anymore. Yeah, I think I think that's me. 
Oh, that sounds amazing. And your career sounds wonderful. And I have to say, I think you are the first actress that has come on the podcast. And that's very exciting. <laughs> um, but uh, the idea of fearless speaking is so important because as you say, um, you know, it is something that terrifies most of us. And it's something that we have to do quite a lot in medicine, kind of from when you're a first year medical student, giving presentations, um, and then over time, kind of getting used to going and giving conference presentations, presenting things when you're in like leadership and management roles. So I think it's such an important skill. It's integral to what we do. And yet nobody really teaches us and we don't talk about the, the scary aspect of it. Um, and I think even just knowing that so you were an actress on stage and you had stage fright, itself makes me feel really reassured because it's like oh okay you can feel scared and go and do it and I think there's that we, we kind of think don't we that oh when I feel confident I will go and do x but we won't feel confident about standing on a stage and speaking if we don't go and do it and you get that confidence from doing it so we would love if you could share with us your kind of top tips for how we can all become fearless speakers uh, it's so interesting hearing what you say because uh, um a lot of it is assumptions so first of all I love that you said we don't talk about the scariness of it, which is what I call the fear. You know, there's this fear and it it is it, it's so um, it's so logical, actually, that we feel fear because we are social animals and we need social signals in order to feel OK about connecting with another with other humans and the minute we stand up to present we take ourselves out of our tribe in a way and where we put our head above the parapet so instantly almost instantly we're triggered into all sorts of symptoms of fight or flight and we know what those are you know heat the heart's beating really fast the knees are shaking we're sweating there's there's so many elements that um make us feel uncomfortable and I think we almost feel uh, like a small child when that happens so we think I shouldn't be feeling like this and because nobody speaks about it we think we're the only one and mm -hmm. we look at other people who look confident and amazing and we think oh they know how to do it but I don't know how to do it but actually the truth is I meet so few people who actually enjoy standing up and speaking most people have just worked their way from whenever it is early on in their career they've worked out how to get themselves up there and then they you know they fight they found a way so so the first thing for me is to understand the first layer for me of what happens here is that we have been triggered we've been triggered and fight or flight which as we know you're a medical person, as we know, is incredibly speedy, incredibly useful. It's there to help us um, fight or run if we are faced with peril. Um, unfortunately, standing in front of a crowd is not really often proper peril. So, and we're stuck. So we can't move anywhere. The heart beats faster. So my first, my very first port of call is A, to understand that. Second, now this for me is a real game changer um, when I realized this, which is we stand up there 
the sweat's trickling down our back, our heart's beating. We think we're going to pass out. And we really desperately want someone to make us feel better. So we we look for the we look for the friendly face in the audience. Now, here's the thing. When people are really listening and really concentrating, they listen with blank faces. So we are not going to get the signals that we require in order to make us feel better. This is the first leap we have to make. We're not going to get what we need. People listen like that. They just listen with a blank face if they're interested or even if they're not interested. So maybe we can let them off the hook rather than overreading, rather than really noticing the ones that aren't listening, which is what we tend to do. We, we kind of get magnetized towards the one that isn't listening and, and or magnetized towards the one person, the one poor person who's making a happy face towards us. And then we do the whole presentation to them. Can we just let them all off the hook? Stop reading the people in front of you. Know that you're not going to get the signals. That soothes the catastrophizing brain because that's what's happened. The brain is going, help, help, help. Is this making sense? Absolutely, it's making sense. And it's so reassuring because, yeah, you're right. We kind of, we look and we kind of think, oh, they're not listening. And then you kind of go into this like panic and then you think, oh, okay, now I have to like talk faster or I have to do this to get me super more engaged. And then it just becomes a cycle. I think as well as people's expressions, because now a lot of the time, you know, we're encouraging people to tweet and share things on social media. Mm. A lot of the time when you're giving a talk at a conference, people will be on their phone and you might think, oh my goodness, they're not listening to me. They're just, you know, looking at their emails, but you've got no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I kind of now reframe it like, oh, everybody's like tweeting about how good this talk is. Well, that's a good idea. That is a good idea because we, we, we just, we need these signals. They're so basic. We're, we are, we love human to human interaction. That's what we're doing when we stand up. But if nobody's looking at us, it's going to it's going to make it. I think what it does is trigger imposter syndrome. I shouldn't mm-hmm. be here. They're bored. They don't like me. They're, they're cleverer than me. That's another thing. Um, I'm wearing the wrong shoes. I wish I hadn't worn this dress. We feel totally self-conscious. So we just feel like everybody's looking at us and everybody's judging us. So the first thing for me is to, to understand that it's you that's been triggered. It's not them that are judging you. You've been triggered. You can actually let them go. And then, and then, so the other thing I do once I've learned that, once I've remembered that, is I make the assumption that I'm in the right place. I, I, I man up, actually. I grow up and I go, okay, I'm going to assume support here. I'm going to assume that I'm in the right place and that I have got something to say and that somebody's going to want to listen to me because if we're anxious if we're worried it it doesn't help our cognitive abilities actually because that's the bit of the brain that's panicking so uh so so people listen with blank faces assume support know you're enough know you're bringing what you bring in my experience particularly in the nhs everybody knows their stuff everybody's clever everybody's passionate everybody's got something to say so then the next port of call for me um the uh, the thing about actors is it's a very physical um it's a very physical i can't think what the word is but it's very it's very physical acting is very physical you take your whole body with you 
So, you know, if you're playing a queen, you don't just come on with the queen in your head. You would be mm. a queen from top to toe. You know, as I say that, you're sitting up, you know, you can feel it, can't you? Um, so one of the things that's really, now this is going to sound ridiculous and people are going to go, oh, I'm not going to do that. What I do is put all my attention into my feet. This is, actually, this is mindfulness. This is distracting the catastrophizing mind. But even as you're sitting there, you could be thinking about your feet, paying attention to your feet in your shoes, wondering whether you can feel the pulse in your feet. So we we can ground ourselves. We need anchors to ground ourselves so that we can do a good job. And feet is the furthest away from your head. It's a distraction. It's It works. I, I was once at a conference that I hadn't prepared for, and I, I was supposed to answer questions about something that wasn't my subject, and uh, I hadn't prepared. And I sat on the, I was sitting on the thing, and I thought, oh my goodness me, I have not prepared. My heart started beating. I had a sea of faces in front of me, and I realized I'd underprepared for this conference. And um, I had five minutes before I was supposed to speak, and I literally, thought of my feet, felt my sitting bones on the chair, really grounded into the chair, really felt my feet on the floor. And then the next thing I did was to lengthen my out breath, which you can do very gently and easily by just taking a nice breath in and just very gently breathing out as though you're breathing out through a straw into a glass of water and you're not going to make any bubbles. So you can just lengthen your out breath as you're waiting. And all these things calm the nervous system, calm you down, ground you, allow you to think. So those three things are very um, kind of essential to get you, just allow you to be there, allow you to be present, allow your brain to start working because the panic doesn't really help us. Does that is that making sense? It's a bit complicated when we can't demonstrate it, but. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, and yeah, when you speak about embodying and you said queen immediately, both of us yeah. sat up straighter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that mindfulness to your feet, I think is really helpful. I think when I speak to people about presentations, a lot of the fear that comes up is, from the questions, you know, I think people are quite happy with, well, I can prepare my presentation, mm. but then I can't prepare for the questions. And I think a really big fear is what if I get a question that I can't answer? And then, mm. then, then what do I do? And I've been in that situation before where I was at a conference. It was just before the pandemic. So it was a huge conference in the States. There were about 2000 people. And I got asked some like really difficult questions. <laughs> the feeling was just like, oh my goodness, this is like, it just feels horrible at the time. Yeah, I obviously didn't horrible. die because I'm still here. But at the time you feel like, it feels like, oh my goodness, I'm like, this is like, you know, that fight off, um, fight or flight really comes out and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be attacked by these predators. How mm. how do we deal with that fear of the of being well, asked a question think, you can't answer? I think one of the things is, I mean, we can't prepare for the question, can we? We we simply can't. But I think all those things of of finding your place, grounding yourself, feeling strong in yourself, finding your own power, knowing you know enough. And for me, there's um there's like a, another switch, which is 
and all of you in the medical profession know how to do this. Um, it's not about you. It's not about you. So when we're triggered into fight or flight, it feels like it's all about us and we're about to be caught out. But actually, nobody wants to catch you out. I mean, I know sometimes, sometimes audiences are tricky. That is true. Sometimes there are really difficult questions. I know that. But they don't actually want you to fall down in front of them. They, they want you to answer the question. So the trick for me is really holding your center and really being present. But also um, what I mean in terms of you in the medical profession knowing about this is that you are there to be of service to them. So the next layer I would add in is is eye contact. It's incredibly important. Everybody knows it. If you make soft, available, non-threatening eye contact to members of your audience, you amazingly feel better if you can connect with them through the eyes. So what you're doing is being present, being available, being a human being standing up. Um, so often I see that people are scanning, they're looking at the floor, they're looking at their, more often than not, looking at their slides. They're obsessed with their slides, in fact. Um, but actually, if we can just, we, we almost have to turn into the storm. We've got to turn it round and be present, be grounded through our feet, hold our, you know, use our power from our bellies and make soft, available eye contact to all the people in front of us. So we can only look at one person at a time. And then also amazingly, they will feel safer with you. So we need to make ourselves a safe, grounded, grown up presence. And I can't, of course, make those questions any easier. But I think the real thing is to understand that it is a very particular place when you're presenting. It is anxious making. So that's the work you need to do is work on your body, work on your breathing, work on making your eyes soft and available as if you were looking at someone you loved at your patients. This is why you all know how to do this. Think, think, of, think of your audience with kindness. Be here, be available then your brain will work better because those difficult questions are, are, are difficult. But, but, you know, if you're giving yourself a chance, you have more of a chance to go, do you know, I actually can't answer that now, but I can get back to you. It's that panicky moment when we're not breathing, we're all up tight up here. We haven't got any space. It's all up here. We've got squeaky. We can't do anything. We can't think. We have to just act as if we're grown-ups. We have to be grown-up and present and make, make eye contact, be available for our audience, be prepared to be seen. Somehow the magic is that the audience feels at ease with you and you feel at ease with them. I'm not sure if I've quite answered your question. No, you have, that's, I think that's, that's really helpful. And I love how you said, you know, think about being of service to your audience mm -hmm. because I think, as you say, a lot of the time, you know, we can't prepare for the questions. We prepare our talk, sometimes we, get obsessed with our slides and we think oh and I need to tell them this and I need to tell them this but actually flipping it around to what do I want them to get from this and yeah just remembering that when people ask us questions most of them aren't asking to try and catch us out it's because they're interested and they're curious and they're asking from that 
place of curiosity, not, right, I found a flaw in what you've done and I'm here to try and pick it out. I think the real thing, and, and it's why I work in groups actually so I work I often work with groups because then we can all learn from each other and we're practicing the real thing is it's not anything you've got to do about them really they are just humans sitting in a room it's changing it in yourself it's realizing and being compassionate towards yourself actually that you have been triggered I mean it's as simple as that you have been triggered into fight or flight and fight or flight creates creates all these anxious feelings and assumptions we we make such huge assumptions about our audience so it's it's understanding that and having compassion and then turning that around as you say the flip is I'm here to be of service these are just a room full of my patients (laughs) or whatever that whatever makes sense to you so that you can be compassionate towards them and take your place yeah does that make sense? It does. Yes, you've given us so many really like helpful pointers. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear when you do the sessions with the groups. Are there like common themes that come up? Well, everything that we've discussed comes up first of all, and I usually, you know, I pull everything apart. So we start. I always say it's a bit like, um, you know, on Master Chef, they're always deconstructing a cheesecake, mm. and I always say, why? why do we want to deconstruct a cheesecake it's a nice thing but that's what we do so we start right at the bottom and we we experience I get people to get up and introduce themselves to each other and even when they know each other they go oh my heart's beating I don't know what to say so we we pull it to pieces and we really look at what happens in that you know how long does it take I don't know I'm not a medical person how long does it take for that adrenaline to hit must be so quick because it's a it's a first aid mechanism, isn't it? Um, so we do that and then gradually, gradually we do interesting eye contact exercises where we begin to feel safe with just being with other people and then we take that to standing up and then I get people to tell stories, their own stories really, and um, work on what's good, you know, what, what, you, what do you bring? And then we start to work on what's your passion because that's the other thing. That I think is really important. Um, often we think we've got to be really formal when we present, you know, formal, I'm just giving you the facts, I'm just going to read it off the slide. But actually we learn through stories, we learn through images. So why is it you? Why is it you giving this presentation? What's your story? What are the little, you know, what, what have you got? Have you got stories you can tell that illustrate what you're talking about this is what we remember this is what we respond to but all of these things take courage you have to understand it because you're in that scary place you have to understand that you need to take these steps of courage you need to take your place and be of service and tell some stories and that helps yeah um and on the topic of stories you know I think that's so important because we remember stories we've as humans have been communicating in the form of stories for so long um but I wonder if if you might be able to give us some of your top tips on storytelling um top tips on storytelling let me think well what's really good is to paint the picture so the top tips on storytelling is number one that it must be your story 
and it must be true. So a made up story, we know, you know, we're reading each other all the time. So um, I would say, um, paint the picture. We actually love the detail. Who are you? What was the date? You know, you could say, oh, it was 1986. It was really hot. I had on my shorts. I don't know. I'm just, it's because it's hot here. I'm thinking that. Um, you know, who else was there? How did you feel? What was the emotional feeling? And, you know, don't say, I went up the road, my bicycle wheel fell off, the end. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> that wouldn't be a very good story, would it? But I just made that up in the moment. Um, we we dare to take your time, dare to tell the story, dare to put yourself in the story. This is what happened to me. And if it's about a patient of yours, you know, dare to to really speak about how it feels, dare to speak, bring yourself in. That's it. Bring your personal experiences as long as they're appropriate in. And we connect with that. You know, we connect with little things about people. I do I do an exercise where we literally talk to a partner about what we had for dinner last night and we describe dinner and we describe who was there and we describe how we cooked it. And it's like one of the best, the people just love it. They love listening to other people's meals. And it's that, we need to dare to put the detail in and be ordinary people. If you think of somebody like um, Michael McIntyre, you know who I mean? Mm, the, yeah. You know, he's brilliant because he comes out, he looks at his audience, he's with you, he's being funny about himself, he's being self-deprecating, and we, we hear every word. So, yes, I think that's my top top tips. And don't be too long. Never take too long. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing. Mm. Does that Are there any... Exercises that we can do. Um, I mean, I know you've already given us several things that we can do when we're on stage and, um, you know, focusing on our breath, on our feet, yeah. really getting present, um, embodying, feeling that that we do belong there. Um, but in the lead up, are there any exercises that we can do to help us to be fearless speakers? I would say, actually, all of those things, in a way, should be done before you mm. when you know you you're adrenalized so we know that and it's subtle isn't it it might be that you don't quite sleep for two nights before or that you're over preparing that's that's a real sign that you're adrenalized you know if you're like uh, I must I've got to get this script right in my head you're over preparing you're over preparing that's when you need to do this grounding and breathing and maybe you know walk run do anything anything to distract the mind so it's like finding the balance between prepping doing the prep and actually getting yourself physically ready so become aware think about your feet think about grounding um and before all before you do it because that's what soothes the nervous system so in a way it's mindfulness in action um also, there is, I mean, there's the, there's a woman called Amy Cuddy who you can find on YouTube. Do you know about her? Yes, yeah, with her power poses. With her power poses. But what's interesting about, and there's there's interest, you know, there's controversy around those. Mm. But as far as being an actor is concerned, that absolutely makes sense to me that if you are centred, if you are open in your 
chest area, your heart area, and your shoulders are back, you're going to feel better. So uh, what I quite like about her uh, thoughts are that she says, go and lock yourself in the loo for two minutes before you present and stand in a power pose. I don't think she's saying stand in a power pose when you present. So I agree with you, pre-work, the pre-work is really important because that's the time when we get panicky. And um, actually, you know, when we're, the stuff we say is such a tiny amount of what we take in. It's something like 7%, isn't it? But the actual data that we say is only tiny, but it's the being of us that we're reading. So you might have somebody very, very confident. If their feet are doing that, that's the thing I see often, or their feet are twirled round or they're looking awkward or they're sideways on. All of these things we read as being not present. So the so the more present you can get yourself beforehand, the better. I haven't really given you any more exercises, just it's doing that breathing, grounding, which helps your brain to be calm. I think that's the main thing for me. Yeah. Thank and you. also, the, you know, it's simple for me. If I'm sitting on the tube and I'm going somewhere um, scary, I will literally sit on the tube, feel my feet, feel my bottom on the chair and breathe out, lengthen my out breath. I, I, or you almost can't do more than that because mm. otherwise you'd start to, people would start to think you're a bit strange. So, <laughs> so you need these simple things that you can just do that calm you down, soften your tummy, soften your knees, all these places that we hold in tension, soften your jaw, everything, just really consciously um, relax, which of course we don't want to do when we're adrenalized because we're on yeah. alert. That makes sense. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you, Serena. Um, I just have some quick fire questions for you now. So my first question is, um, is it a book or several books that you would recommend to our listeners to read? Yes, I'm just, I'm looking across to my, um, I'm looking across, I'm just getting my books. Sure. These two books are great. I love this woman. So this is Find Your Voice. Is that coming out back? Yes, from- Caroline Goider. Yes, she has oh, been Caroline on the podcast. Goider. Do you know her? Yes. Yeah. And she has another one called Gravitas. Yes. And I think these are really good. That They're very much in kind of, we, we are on the same page, really. Um, I would recommend them. And there's also a book called, oh, here it is. Got it here. Um, called How to Own the Room. Yes, we've grossed up. She's also, she's coming on the podcast. Oh, is she? Brilliant. That's great. Well, I've just done, um, I've just recorded a session with her. I'm still working out what order you're all going to be in. So it might be that your episode comes out just after hers, in which case, um, in which case my comment won't have made sense. But, um, but yes. So um, so we all come from different, we probably slightly come at it from different um places don't we yes but it's great um and caroline's episode is actually um to date it's the most popular episode of the podcast i think Mm -hmm. because nobody gets any voice coaching and nobody teaches us how to how to go and speak so um thank you for those book recommendations and my um final quick fire question is a question that a group of children came up with and have very kindly let me borrow the question so it's if you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be and why? 
Well, my goodness, if I was a type of biscuit, well, my absolutely favourite biscuit is a chocolate digestive, not plain milk. Um, and I think that's what I, would I be that? That seems a bit complicated, actually. I'd probably be a ginger nut. <laughs> and um, because they're very good at being dunked. So they, they're delicious in their crispy form. They're delicious in their soft form. Also, my husband, who is also an actor, um, is a ginger nut. So I it would <laughs> it would help me remember him. Um, <laughs> so I think that's it. I think I would be a ginger nut. Oh, that's a really lovely answer. And what I love about that question is that, um, you know, like I think we've had a couple of ginger nuts on the podcast, but everybody gives different reasons for the biscuit. So it's <laughs> my question. Yeah, maybe in future I'll start all my talks by asking the audience to think of exactly. what biscuit they would be. And exactly. then that would relax all of them as well as me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try that next time. Well, Serena, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if um, if anybody would like to find you and find out more about what you do, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on uk. Great. So, Serena, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Oh, thank you so much. I've really loved meeting you and being here today. Thank you so much for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you automatically get our episodes. The aim of this podcast is to support and empower as many medical women in their careers as we possibly can. So please share this episode with at least one other medical woman. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we would love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bayankaram and Ms. Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Dr. Kethki Bayankaram. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>